Hello, my community. Despite a frost at the equinox, our strawberry fields are in high season. If ever there were a time for a homemade strawberry shortcake, this is it. And as the berries get tired and lose their gloss, smooth them into jams with sugar and a squeeze of lemon, or with a dried chili or two for slow heat. And it's also flower season. In our community, flowers are a local crop three seasons of the year. If you don't have your own spring-blooming plants to cut, local flower growers Boone Fox Farm will soon be cutting snapdragons, delphinium, and campanula. And if you want to eat your flowers, look for local nasturtiums and other edible flowers when local farms have enough to bring to market. This is the month to dine on fruit and flowers together. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. This season, I'm following the roots and filaments of teaching practice at the college around the set of skills and experience of learning to learn. What skills do you teach? How do you teach them? How can we connect our teaching for our students and each other? This is Instructional Ecology. Today's episode doesn't seem to be on a topic like agency that brings positive benefits to a student. Instead, it's about a feeling or a state that happens during the learning process. And it's powerful. So powerful that while all learners experience it, many of our students at the college find it to be a stern barrier to their success or even their completion of an activity, a class, or an entire degree program. Yet it's actually an important and nearly inevitable part of the learning process, frustration. With this episode, the idiosyncrasy of this season really shows. I could have organized this season with nothing but skills and solutions to hand to your students, nothing but positivity and utility. But I found that when we focus only on solutions, then suddenly every problem seems to fit only those solutions we've decided upon or else. Let's look at what's happening in learning and through querying the experience, derive ways to respond. This episode instead is about a barrier to learning to learn. Or is it? Frustration is a built-in feature to the learning process. Often when you feel frustration is when you're really, really deep into the learning process because you're engaged, you're focused intensely, you're working, and you haven't gotten it yet but it sure can feel like a barrier. So what happens next? Do you negotiate with the frustration, persist, clasp it to you and follow its lead? Or do you throw down the tools and retire from the field? It's essential that we observe how our students encounter and engage with frustration in our classes. What do we do when we see it? Do we stop worrying and learn to love this bomb? One of my guests today says, yes. Love this bomb that blows possibility wide open. For many students, though, frustration seems to signal that something is wrong. So they avoid it. They dread it. And our students may feel that their feeling of frustration is a referendum on their fundamental ability to achieve and sometimes even on their worth as a person. Frustration can strike to the core. To many students, it signals not that they're trying to do something, but that they cannot do what they're being asked to do. They may feel that frustration is a sign that they aren't any good at a subject, they never will be good at it, and that they don't even belong in college at all. Frustration without understanding can set off a waterfall of doubt, doom, and failure. So helping students manage frustration isn't just an investment in their emotional state and well-being. It's also integral to their success. Seeing frustration as transitory and perhaps as an important sign that learning is really picking up steam can be game-changing. Today, I have two guests, both with marvelous perspective for us. An MTC professor in the School of Advanced Manufacturing and Skilled Trades and a teacher in the community who is once again a student since she joined our own CCE's clinical massage therapy program last fall. Between them, they have decades of experience with and attention to frustration, their students 
and their own. You see, this episode about frustration came to life when I was learning about our precision machining program in the school of AMST. I've been in many kinds of academic classrooms over the years, but the skills I've learned with my hands have never needed complex machinery. So there, I'm ignorant. I serve our students by serving our faculty, but I've never learned a trade. So how can I serve an entire school focused on trades and manufacturing here at the college if I'm ignorant of their work? I spent the fall of 2022 beginning to learn the world of their work and teaching. My time with Jeremy Gilliam and Gary Shannon in precision machining was a delight for me. I had the same experience a new student would have, coming into their fast workshop for the first time and seeing huge machines of every description and having only the vaguest idea of what each would do. Standing over a table filled with carefully crafted student products, I asked Jeremy one of my favorite questions when I began to learn about a new-to-me teaching discipline. What is one of the hardest things for your students in your classes? As he talked, the world of machine tool technology opened up to me. His answer about what can be hardest for his students pointed straight at how important it is for those of us who teach to be attentive to and address student frustration. As you listen, I hope you'll bring along your own strategies and struggles with frustration and learning, as well as how you currently help students manage it in your discipline. What would happen if we talked about frustration more often with students and with each other? Let's begin in the AMST neighborhood inside the vast bright hangar on the Beltline campus. Safety goggles on in our precision machining program. My name is Jeremy Gillum. I am the lead instructor of the machine tool technology department and I've been here at Midlands Tech since 2022. So just over a year. Jeremy, the idea for this came to me when I asked you what is one of the hardest things for your students in your course? And you said, you know, it's it's the first time they actually get to be on the machines. They get to try it. And they were often surprised that they, they couldn't do it right away. So, yeah, uh, in the very beginning, I think everybody kind of uh, expects perfection, you know, getting it right on the first time. And uh, in, the, in the beginning, it could be quite a, a culture shock for them. Uh, they're learning something uh, very new. Uh, the majority of our students, uh, their first time uh, being in the shop, uh, being around our equipment. Uh, so it's definitely a learning experience right off the bat. It's not anything they're familiar with. Um, so a lot of times it can be kind of a step back for them when they see that that first project they do is not quite up to the standard, you know, they expected. Uh, so there's definitely a learning curve involved uh, and getting very comfortable with the equipment and uh, and how to use them. I think many of us have that secret expectation that the first time we try something we've thought a lot about, that it will be easy. We'll just nail it the first time. And surprise, no. How does Jeremy know when students are feeling that surprise letdown, that frustration? It really depends on the student. Uh, some students can be pretty verbal and let you know quickly that uh, they're aggravated and they're frustrated. Uh, a lot of times it's body language. You can kind of tell that uh, they kind of change a little bit. If you're uh, kind of inquiring on uh, where they're at, what they're doing, and you can kind of tell in their voice they're, they're a little disappointed in themselves. Uh, so at that point, I, I really like to step in and try to encourage them the best I can uh, and, you know, just try to let them know this isn't something you just start off uh, perfecting. You have to work at this, and it's a repetition thing, doing it over and over, and uh, there's a lot of steps involved. It is. It sounds like so the, the thing you, you begin with and then just keep returning to is, you know, this is a process. It's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we just one step at a time. But I know that, you know, some people um, may just really feel an intensity of frustration um, that, that, that goes beyond just like you said, like, oh, no, I'm disappointed or, oh, mm -hmm. tell me about some methods and things that you do when the temperature kind of starts to rise. What are some things that you're able to do with and for them? We'll just kind of start back at square one. Uh, we like to try to figure out where we made the mistake, uh, try to learn from our mistakes, and uh, definitely not, you know, avoid that mistake again on the, the next go round. Uh, sometimes uh, it's best just to take a take a little break, step away from the machine, uh, whether it be go uh, kind of sit in our little 
uh, locker room area for a minute and kind of take a break, cool down, uh, take a walk around campus, take a quick little walk and kind of clear your mind. Uh, and you'll see that a lot of times uh, when you come back with your mind clear, uh, you can do a little bit more uh, problem solving and kind of figure out those uh, mistakes you made a little bit better once you kind of cleared that frustration out. That's usually my uh, first uh, encouragement is just to take a small break and kind of clear your head. Are they ever surprised that it's okay to take a break? Are they thinking, oh man, I just got to do this till I get it right? And oh, I can, I can, I can stop and reset? Some, yeah, absolutely. Some are kind of, I guess, depending on the student, uh, some just want to, you know, they're uh, very driven. Uh, so they want to, you know, strive for perfection and they want to, you know, everybody wants it right then, right then, right then. Um, so yeah, trying to get them to take a step back and think about everything. Uh, it can be different for uh, some students, for sure. Students can have a lot of reason to worry about making mistakes. And in machining, there are some specific worries in the workshop. Well, we are using uh, very expensive equipment. Uh, so I think that's a big uh, kind of focus point. They're, they're worried about uh, potentially tearing up a piece of equipment that's expensive. Uh, but yeah, the big thing in the beginning is mistakes are going to happen. We are a, a, a learning environment. Mistakes will happen, but we want to avoid them the best we possibly can. Uh, so we, we definitely, uh, we focus on safety. That's our main aspect in the beginning. Uh, for each individual machine, we have our own safety aspects per machine. Um, so that's our main goal is safety. Um, and then uh, just trying to let them get more comfortable with the machines uh, in the beginning because there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, you're standing right there, right there up next to it. So it can be very intimidating at the beginning. Uh, and that's um, that's a lot of, a big hurdle we have to jump over is that intimidation of the actual machine itself. Because uh, most students have never, never experienced anything like it. I've never even uh, seen one running in person. They potentially watch YouTube videos, but it's a, it's a whole different ball game when you're, you know, around the actual sounds and, you can feel the machine vibrating when it's cut. And then, so it's a whole uh, different experience when you're right up next to the machine. You know, I'm thinking about you because you're both, I guess like all of us, you're both a, a practitioner, a learner, and you're also a, a teacher. And I'm wondering about your perspective as both of those, right? Um, what have you learned in your life of learning and teaching about the place of frustration? In learning, it, it seems to pop up quite occasion, uh, um, pretty frequently. Uh, I mean, especially the more you get into uh, our career and our world, uh, our parts and projects become more and more complex. And so you're you're never done learning. I imagine that's it's like that in almost every field. You know, you're throughout your career, you're steadily going to be learning and adding to your uh, um, your abilities. But uh, yeah it's going to be quite often you're going to run into some very complicated stuff that you're basically going to have to figure out on your own using your skills and what you've learned so far. And just trying to handle that is uh, to be quite a feat on itself, you know, trying to figure out your your own self and how you can avoid uh, getting too frustrated and and trying to focus on your, your strengths and your weaknesses and use your strengths to your uh, advantage. Something I've heard you say that you often return to, that I know you also, in your own mind and also that you say aloud is, nobody was ever born knowing how to do this work. Tell me about the meaning of that phrase for you and, and why it's sort of become a touchstone for you and your students. So I had a uh, my first job right out of school. Uh, I was actually still in school. I was in my second year of getting my degree. Uh, I was working at a small machine shop in uh, Holly Springs, Mississippi, and um, and like most places, uh, our shop foreman he would kind of like to rib you a little bit if you messed up a part or uh, if you made a mistake. He'd kind of like to bring it to everybody's attention, and uh, and which can make it pretty hard in the beginning. You know, you kind of already feel bad for yourself, and uh, you don't. Nobody wants to make a mistake. Nobody likes to mess up, and. Uh, so I actually had another coworker come up to me and tell me, you know, gave me some nice words of encouragement. Just kind of told me that, you know, nobody was born knowing this profession. Nobody just had the natural ability just to walk up and do this stuff. It's a learning process. And uh, and that really stuck with me. Of course, it made me feel better. Uh, 
And uh, I try to tell our students that as well. Mistakes are going to happen. The biggest thing is to learn from those mistakes. Uh, and then, and uh, fortunately for our field, when you make a mistake, usually it sticks with you. And next time that comes around, you know for sure I'm not doing that again. You know, that makes me think, I mean, like that's that's when you get into things like learning and reflection, right? Mm -hmm. You get to know yourself, you know, and based on that direct experience, you can hear about it as much as possible. And it's not going to be as the same as actually doing it. So I'm wondering, what is the place that that kind of knowing of yourself, that kind of self-reflection and self-awareness in, in your discipline? Yeah, you kind of have to know your strengths and weaknesses. Uh we can be very specialized, so you can enter your career and just focus on one type of machine uh, and be go as far as you possibly can. I'll use the, the milling machine as an example. You can be a great uh, machinist and only operate milling machines. Um, so, And then that's where you kind of self-aware where you know that that's kind of what you're more comfortable with. You can kind of pick and choose what machines. Say maybe you don't like the, the lathes as much. That's kind of not your thing. Um, so you have to be a little self-aware of what you're better at, what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and then there's still the opportunities where uh, in a career where you may have to use every one of those pieces of equipment on a daily basis. So you have to be pretty well-rounded. Um, but we have the ability uh, through our parts. We, we have different processes we can use to kind of achieve the same end result. Uh, and we can kind of use those processes of what kind of our strengths and weaknesses using the machines we're more comfortable with, we're better with to knock out that process. So, um, yeah, I always tell our students, uh, you really need to reflect on what you're doing when you're outside of class, um, mainly because uh, between weeks, we have a, a few days where they're not in the shop. So they're not experiencing this every single day like you would at work. And it kind of gets ingrained into you uh, where you don't have to really think about anything. You just you just know it. One of the things that you've taught me about your profession is that you can get to a great, correct product many different ways. Mm -hmm. In other professions, you, you might need to do the exact process in order, like in mechatronics, if you don't get everything in the right order, it's it's not going to work. Each person has to discover the best way they get to the final product. Um, and then that, of course, means that you have to know yourself. You have to know what works for you. Tell me a little bit about how you teach a process, but you also help students discover what works best for them to succeed. So like you said, there's multiple ways we can do uh, different things. Uh, some stuff, not so much. Some stuff is specifically meant to be made on certain things, but uh, we do have a little bit of leeway where we can uh, uh, potentially use certain machines to do certain uh, um, procedures. Uh, but we went through today, they had to take all their measurements for their part. Um, and I was showed them probably about four different ways we could take measurements on that part uh, to figure out accurately the correct sizes. So there's there's quite a few different things we can do uh, and different ways of getting there that gives us uh, a little bit of freedom and we can kind of figure out uh, what best best fits us and what we're most comfortable with and get our measurements. I'm hearing you prepare people for a, a lifetime or a, a career in this because we all have to learn the basics of something. And then we have to learn who we are in that profession. Like we can't know what we like until we try a bunch of things, mm -hmm. right? Um, we can't know what we have our strengths in until we've discovered the things that we're, we perhaps don't work so well. I'm wondering what, um, as you watch your students progress through the, the arc of this, this um, uh, path, um, what have you learned about specialization and how that self-awareness and self-knowledge can really help them as they get further down a path? Usually it doesn't take very long for you to figure out what machine you you like using the best. Uh, and they're pretty vocal about, oh, I like using this machine or uh, no, this one's not my favorite. Uh, so you you have a good feeling when you get through with school, kind of what you would like to kind of how you would like to direct yourself and what path you would like to go down. And you have a lot of selection with that. Yeah, really the the, the sky's the kind of the limit with us. You can progress really, really far in this career and really make a, a, a very good living for yourself and your family. You remind me that um, 
oftentimes students complete your program and they are in the workforce. Boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm wondering, especially for maybe the younger ones who have don't have a long work history because they, you know, they simply haven't been around that long. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine the benefits of being able to manage one's frustration on the job, right? Because as you said, in class, it's one thing and you've created a place, you know, where they can try again and, you know, manage it. But how is that ability to manage frustration important on the job in this kind of work? It's extremely important because uh, a lot of times um, if you do mess up, you have to get going again pretty soon. It's not a whole lot of uh, you can't beat yourself up too bad. You can't get down on yourself too hard because they're going to expect you to kind of turn around pretty quickly, get going again. Um, so, yeah, you have to be able to really manage yourself. And a lot of times what I've noticed with myself, if you if you get mad at yourself, you restart the project and you're you're trying to rush through it real fast because you're you know you're doing the same thing over again uh you're going to mess up that second time by just rushing and again frustration does not, not help anything you know speaking of of careers and and the job world i'm reminded that um you and your father shared a double career you were both machinists and also professors at community college. I wonder, did he give you, what, what kind of perspective did he give you on both or either of, of those professions when, um, as you were coming up? I was with him all the time. I grew up in a, in a machine shop for the most part. I uh, spent my summers with him uh, in the shop while he was making parts. Got to see him interacting with students. Got to see how much the students really interacted with him, uh, how much they respected him, and how much they appreciated him as an instructor. It was pretty neat seeing students come back that had graduated 10 years ago and were just stopping by to say, hey, and see how you're doing, and uh, always calling and reaching out to him. And uh, so he really got to, I got to see him kind of pass on his knowledge and his skill set. It, it inspired me. I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to be able to pass along my knowledge and see the next guy take that and really make a career out of it and better himself. So yeah, he had a, a very big imprint on my uh, decision to become an instructor. Well, I know that you you just recently came to us um, in the last couple of years. And uh, as you look forward into the future, I wonder what you see when you look ahead, what you, you hope um, for the future here at the college or for your students or yourself. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just continuing to grow the program. Uh, we have a really good program here. We have a really good base. Uh, uh, we have a great program director, Mr. Gary Shannon. He's uh, fantastic. Um, he's really been working hard trying to get us new equipment. We got some new machines coming in, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're just waiting to get delivered. So thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, he's he's gone above and beyond trying to uh, get this program uh on track and uh, make it a, a, a good foundation block for the college, something that uh, everybody can be proud of and uh, for years and years to come. So, yeah, we're excited. Uh, we haven't been here very long, been here for uh, just over a year now, the both of us. Uh, so we still have a quite a hill in front of us to climb. But, uh, yeah, we've had great support uh, throughout the college. And, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a great experience so far. Isn't it grand to hear the rich history of the people who teach at the college? To know more about their background and ways of working. As I produce this season of the podcast, I'm enjoying that learning is something all of us are constantly implicated in. We can take our guest stories and consider them in relation to our own teaching, but also to our own experience as a learner. I think Jeremy's description of his students' dismay and frustration that the work of being a machinist is quite exacting and specific and that they must take time to master it is so useful. And Jeremy saying patiently over and over, no one was born knowing how to do this work, is a great model for giving frustration context for students. He keeps that beginner's experience sharply and freshly in his mind and in his teaching. And with our conversation, you can see that frustration branches out into many other aspects of learning to learn. Reflection, as Jeremy and I acknowledged, but also to failure, something we've been dancing around today. My next guest will continue this dance and take us into the dubious joys of frustration.
Speaking of dancing, my second guest today is a dancer. She's a dancer who also teaches her art, and she's one of our MTC students. Ashley Bennett joined CCE's Clinical Massage Therapy Program last fall, and in her 30s is learning an entirely new profession, but she's arrived well prepared for the task. As you listen to Ashley, I hope you can hear her both as a teacher and a student. She'll have great classroom method for you to consider, but also she's a student who has been taught how to learn. She's our student, and she has come prepared by another institution. So she is what's possible for our students when we teach them to be lifelong learners. When you enter Ashley's dance studio, you pass through the sitting area that's verdant with plants burgeoning in pots, macrame hangers, and terrariums. The walls are alight with pictures of her dance troupe in full glorious makeup. And as you enter the mirrored practice space, you pass a huge poster about mindset, always visible in the reflections. Let's step into the community with an MTC student and hear how she, like Jeremy, is a learner and a teacher and how learning is one of her favorite things to talk about. I'm Ashley Bennett. I am a teaching artist and dancer, and I'm a student at Midlands Technical College in the Clinical Massage Therapy Program. Ashley is always thrilled to talk about the art and science of learning. So I asked her, how did you become such a learning nerd? I've First of all, I've been dancing forever, but then six years ago, I decided to go and um, learn from my favorite dancer of all time, and that was Rachel Bryce. Um, She's up in Portland, and she has a program called The Eight Elements, and um, so I went up there. It's a four-part program that ends with a teacher training, and um, in part one, uh, two books that we were required to read before arriving were, um, a, well, it wasn't really the book, but it was a, it was an article by um, Carol Dweck, who is a psychologist, and it was about growth mindset. She kind of started the conversation, maybe not started the conversation, but popularized it for sure. And then the other was was an actual book called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. And I thought that that was odd that we were having to read this because I thought this is a dance program. So I was very confused when our prerequisite reading was this kind of learning-based growth mindset stuff. And it turned out that she had a... Um, low success rate when she first started the program. And so um, it wasn't a matter of making her dance material easier necessarily, but she really had to get these adult um, learners on board with um, the idea of having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. um, And also to get on board with Um, understanding that failure is a part of becoming a talented individual in whatever your field is. Um, So it makes sense to me now, but at first I was very like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? Ashley is narrating the dismay of many students. We show up for the good stuff, which means the content of what we want to learn and find that we get more than we bargained for. So what's this extraneous stuff about? But it turned out that the learning theory was just as valuable for Ashley as the dance instruction. Well, first of all, I learned that um, I learned that learning is a very straightforward process, and that um, if I was curious about anything, that I could just learn it by doing that process. Um, and um, I, I think the first. Part of that process is what we keep referring to as drinking from the water hose or drinking from the fire hose. Um, There's so much information and uh, front loading, it can be overwhelming. um, But if you let go of the idea that you have to know everything about something immediately, um, then you can drink from the fire hose and know that most of the water, most of the information is not going to stick. It's going to just fly right past you. And that's OK. Not only did she learn much more effectively as she took Bryce's program, she also became a full time learner in her own life. 
So when I started um, on this adventure of learning about learning and learning how to teach better and growth mindset, I started to learn ravenously. Like I got obsessed just with the concept of acquiring new knowledge. I pretty much taught myself, um, there's just this huge list, uh, watercolor painting, um, macrame, I started gardening, um, keeping exotic house plants. Uh, oh, I started a pyrography, which is wood burning, silversmithing, which I've actually become pretty well known for. Uh, silversmithing is a super complicated skill um, with lots and lots of holes. I, I could be filling those those knowledge gaps for the rest of my life. It goes on like you know I redo furniture and paint stuff. I've installed floors. I've changed out toilets that I, you know, figured it out online. You know, I became a really confident learner and I figured um, that if I don't know how to do it, I will know how to do it. I can know how I'm able to know how to do it. I just don't know how right now. Imagine teaching a student to learn and this is the result. A person who chooses without fear to tackle all kinds of learning in the arts and crafts, all of which intrigue and delight them, who becomes more self-actualized. And this came from a professional dancer's willingness to teach her student more than just how to dance. And so Ashley does this for her students. She applies what she knows about learning to her teaching. I could have put Ashley in the episode about mindset, right? Mindset for her, like Tom, is also a cornerstone. But as we talked, I found that she wanted to talk about the hard stuff, the rough patches, the struggling times, because in her profession, she spends a lot of time with her students in the hard places. And now she values frustration very, very highly. She uses terms defined by Daniel Coyle in his book that Bryce gave her, The Little Book of Talent. So frustration is um, what Daniel Coyle refers to as the sweet spot. So he says you're frustrated because you are aware of the things that you're missing. And so when you when you don't know anything about something, you don't know what you don't know. Now, now that you're frustrated, that means that you have learned enough to know what you don't know. And that's frustrating, but that means that you've already made progress. And it means that you are hyper aware of the holes in that skill or the holes in that knowledge set. And you are filling those holes rapidly when you are frustrated. In other words, frustration is when you're really learning. In a dance class, which is different from a machine tool lab, how can you know when students are becoming frustrated? So this is where I I um I do better with more expressive students. And um I'm gonna speak for like everyone except for maybe a ballet instructor. Ballet instructors expect you to be very contained, <laughs> but um they have their own, they have a whole other process. So I'm just speaking for myself and um I think that I look for things like um, falling out of your, you know, you're kind of turning off. So dropping the arms, obviously like stopping moving would be a sign that someone's going to become frustrated or overwhelmed. Um, my favorite is a curse word. Like if someone just gives me a little cuss bomb, a little F bomb here and there, I know that they're, uh, they're in the sweet spot. And this is when I can really start to fine tune, um, how I'm teaching to them. Um, being contained and holding it all in doesn't really help me read where we are and what kind of progress we're making. So um, I prefer to just hear it. You know, obviously, I don't appreciate being blamed for not understanding the material, but um, I do know the feeling of, you didn't give me enough information. I need more information, you know. Um but I, but I do need to see those little signs of frustration. And sometimes those let me know we're going to repeat the same thing for longer. 
or we are going to keep repeating, but we're going to start toggling the speed. So sometimes we'll slow down our repetitions and then speed them back up and go way faster than we can actually successfully execute. And then we'll pull it back down. Yeah. So it's just, a, it's an intuitive practice that has come with a lot of uh, trial and error on my part. Um, and it also requires that the students be in a certain mindset to accept that frustration, repetition, and um, really being comfortable in that moment is going to be the, that's the determining factor of your success. Like Jeremy, when she observes frustration, she engages with it openly with students. And then she also adapts her instruction in the lesson using what she knows about learning. And while a dance studio and a machine workshop may look quite different, both Jeremy and Ashley are looking for visual cues as well as verbal articulation of frustration so they can respond. And here's where another issue can arise. Repetition is often what helps us improve skills as we learn them. But she told me, we've been taught that repetition is punishment, not the work of learning. Schooling has used repetition as punishment for misbehavior or mistakes. And this can be a big problem, Ashley finds, because repetition can be the work of learning and improving, and it shouldn't be feared or looked down upon. In real life, repetition is a part of a metric for um it actually is something that you can kind of toggle or throttle up or throttle down depending on where you are in your practice um for instance back to daniel coyle <laughs> he was saying that um if you are doing 80% accuracy or higher, then you are in your comfort zone. And that's probably too comfortable. Um, you want to be performing between 50 to 80% accuracy um, when you're practicing learning something. And so now we're talking about repetition that we're changing the difficulty level and you want it to be hard. You want to fail. That is the good stuff because you're learning so fast. This is where you're innovating. And this is where you're actually changing your brain and you're making your brain better is when you're failing. And then what happens is you get, you struggle out of the struggle zone or out of the survival zone and you get back above 50%. You're reaching, you're reaching, you're reaching. You're not succeeding. You're not succeeding. Maybe there's a frustration level where you need to, first of all, um, take a break and like go have a beer or something. <laughs> like Go to bed, take a, <laughs> go home and put it down, come back. So using Coyle's terminology, Ashley appreciates that being frustrated is actually a good place to be in. It's the sweet spot. Imagine if we actually told students that they should be encouraged when they're frustrated, that frustration isn't a sign that they're incapable forever and ever, but a sign that they're actively engaging and in the process of moving the dial, even if they don't see it in the moment. Moving students in and out of the frustration zone is something Ashley does deliberately because it's the sweet spot, even if it's hard, because it's hard. When I'm teaching, I like to people to bring people from comfort zone at the beginning of a class. They're going to enter into the um, uh, sweet spot, the frustration zone. We're gonna hang out there until they're mad at me and then I'm gonna drop them way down to the survival zone below 50% accuracy, but we're not gonna stay there too long. Buoy back up to, um, when we go into the survival zone and back to the sweet spot, they're performing better than they did earlier in that class inside of the sweet spot. Ashley's teasing an episode later in our season, failure. 
But frustration doesn't necessarily mean the hard stop of ultimate failure. Frustration is an ambiguous invitation. And we can help our students interpret that invitation. Is it saying quit? Or is it saying that's it? Keep going. And while being an artist means constant learning and practice, Ashley is actually now a truly new student again at the college. I asked, what's it like to learn a new profession now with all that you've come to understand about learning and your own process? With going back to school, I knew that I was going to have to learn a ton of anatomy. Um, I'm in the um, massage therapy, the clinical massage therapy program. I knew I was going to have to learn a ton of anatomy. I didn't really know. I knew that I knew how to learn it all. And I also am comfortable with not being perfect. So I knew that I didn't have to be the perfect student or the best student. Um, and I didn't have to know everything exactly. And I didn't have to make a 100% on every single assignment that I have. Um, but I but I was going to do it with confidence. This is our hope for every student, right? That they understand that they don't have to be perfect at every moment. That sometimes they'll excel and other times they'll struggle. But that they'll learn and grow and be in a different place than when they started. This is a student who won't give up. Will keep getting up and dusting herself off. Maybe having a break and a beer and coming back for more every single class. I was also curious about what frustration looks like for her as she learns this new and different profession. But um, I do think that a lot of information for me needs to be learned by rote, R-O-T-E, which is just repetition. And uh, so there's some flashcards involved. And my partner, I have a wonderful partner, Michael, who um, helps me with my flash. He actually will follow me around the house with my flashcards, quizzing me. And he gets me, uh, he gets friendly, Ashley, for maybe 10 minutes. And then by minute 15, he has a very dry response from me and then by 20 minutes I'm getting snippy and we have to stop so I know that I can do the note cards for about 15 to 20 minutes and then we have to just call it quits and that what that means for me and this I don't love this because I like all or nothing is that there's no cramming with at the last minute with those note cards it has to be small doses or else I'm gonna get in trouble with my partner because I'm gonna want to punch him and because she knows herself it means that she can't always do things the way she wants to do them as she studies yeah and I've told you before I love drinking from the fire hose so give me a last minute assignment and I will bend over backwards and you know stay up all night and drink a pot of coffee to to get it done but I also know that this is a marathon and not a sprint again perfection is really not what we're going for we're going for proficiency and competence that doesn't mean that you have to be absolutely spotless all the time. She would love to cram, but she knows that won't work. So she ekes it out in small bites over time. And that does work for her. Because she assumes that failure isn't something to be avoided, it's something to embrace, to live with and welcome, and then move away from, because she'll return there eventually. From a learner standpoint, the baseline is all failure. If I, if I do nothing, I will just be failing at a constant rate. And so that's the baseline. I, I think that it was really freeing for me to learn, to realize that failure is the baseline and that it's not bad. It's just a metric for, it's just something that helps me measure where I'm at in that skill acquisition process. As we talked, Ashley ended up telling me that she's concluded that if you're teaching, you should be learning. 
And not just anything, not things you're already doing, something utterly new and unfamiliar to you. So when you work in a field, typically you're continuing your education in that field. So you are going to go off and take some classes or take some online classes and you're going to learn how to use this program to make your job easier. And we're all pretty familiar with that. And that's all well and good. But if you're an educator, if you are not challenging yourself to step outside of your comfort zone and learn something totally new, you're going to eventually forget what your students are experiencing from the other side. Um, that is definitely something that uh, I think makes me a good instructor is that I, I know what it feels like on the other side. I know that I need to front load a certain amount of information. Then I need to remind you that with repetition, it's going to settle in. You don't need to panic. If you haven't felt like completely unprepared in a long time, you're you uh, you're missing out. I think you're missing out on connecting to your students. You're going to be missing some empathy, um, and and also like it's just really good. <laughs> it's just, you should, I, I think that learning is a part of self care. It's like to me, it's brain hygiene. Um, so learning should just be like flossing your teeth. Take a minute with that, friends. Learning is self-care, it's brain hygiene, it should be like flossing your teeth. This is amazing perspective to talk about in a teaching community. I just feel like it's important to, to stay curious and to keep looking for new things to challenge you and that you are going to become a better teacher because you are in touch with the process of taking on this knowledge not just delivering it. You know how to deliver it. You can spew it all day and you do spew it all day long. You're delivering information. Receiving it is a whole other banana. And I just, um, I know that the instructors that are going out and taking improv lessons <laughs> or dance classes, uh, the instructors that um, go to pottery throwing on the weekends. Um, aside from living a richer life, they have a better appreciation of what it feels like to take on new information. Learning as brain hygiene. Learning as empathy machine. Learning as an endless enrichment of life. She told me a friend of hers took up a new hobby and stopped by to show her a new creation. And the two of them just fast in the glory of her learning. And I got really excited with her just listening to her talk about finding the supplies that she needed and exploring different types of stitches. I don't know anything about seed beading, but it was just so exciting to be able to share this little moment with someone. I found a new thing and I'm so excited about this new thing. <laughs> let me tell you, let me show and tell you about it. And there's just something so sweet and, and wonderful about being able to, you know, be in my mid to late thirties, sharing these moments with this other woman and um, just kind of celebrating the wonder of a new craft or a new skill. And I was just, we were, we just delighted in it together. What a great moment for us to hear. Two people, two students of different subjects, marveling over the fruit of learning. The joy of sharing learning is like no other. Your students are going home to their families and having moments like this, sharing facts they now understand, creations they've made, skills they're practicing. Are you having these moments? Are you sharing learning like this in your circles with your fellow faculty? For Ashley, this is now a non-negotiable part of her life. And uh, I just can't imagine having a life where I'm not doing that, you know? 
and like just getting excited about the wonder of learning a new thing and the process and being able to talk about that process with other people who are learners that are when I say a learner, I mean like someone who just is hungry for new knowledge. Um, if you are in your field and you are not hungry for any new knowledge and you're feeling a little complacent, um, my first, I, I would say like my first word of advice would be to um, go take, go get out of your comfort zone, go do something new. And when you're doing the new thing, think about the process and think about the frustration and remember it's just like you know watching a scary movie the fear the frustration is a reminder of how good it feels to succeed or how good it feels to live right being afraid um you know like horror you know the horror genre being afraid for your life is the kind of the key to being grateful for your life and enjoying it. And it's kind of the same with learning um, to experience that fear and frustration of learning new information is to appreciate the information that you have and to understand what a privilege it is to know what you know. So much here, my friends, my community. So much to talk about and share and show each other. This episode ended up being about the joys and uses of frustration. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing these two people who are teaching and learning all the time. Both of our guests this week keep themselves so sharp, so focused on student experience. And they constantly make that back and forth motion between their own rich experience and the state of beginning and newness that their students exist in. I hope you found value in peeking inside these classrooms. As I've said before, we teach alone. We're alone with our students and our colleagues and our community members will never know what we do unless we share our stories. By listening to their stories, I wonder what's become visible for you. Maybe it's something in your own process of learning. Maybe you picked up a new hobby over the pandemic or you're branching out into a new professional space. Or maybe it's brought your own student's frustration more into focus for you. What does learner frustration look like in your discipline? When does it arrive? How do you help them negotiate it? Do you teach them to understand and manage their emotion? Do you teach them to chase that frustration? By making frustration more visible, what can you make possible for your students? What could happen if you talk them through those moments and gave them strategies and short-circuited their certainty that frustration means they should stop right at the moment when they should dig in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. On the webpage for this episode, you'll find more details about some of the learning theory we talked about today and authors like Carol Dweck and Daniel Coyle. And you'll find videos of Ashley's dance troupe and her teacher, Rachel Bryce if you're curious about her art in our community. And I hope that you'll join us next time to handle another fundamental skill in learning that we've already invoked in these early episodes, reflection. In order to face frustration, self-awareness is essential. And to find a way forward, reflection is crucial, which is much deeper than self-awareness. More, teaching it offers so many possibilities for student growth and parallel instructor growth. I hope you'll join us next time as the green around us deepens further into the web of our community.